0: Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from just the news where today we are so blessed. You know why? We've got the former speaker of the U.S. House, Newt Gingrich, here for us. We're going to be talking about the elections, about leadership on the world stage, about Joe Biden's economy and what Republicans need to do not only to win in November, but to build a lasting coalition in Congress, and we don't have these seesaws every six years, we're going back and forth between Democrats and Republicans. That is going to be a fantastic interview. I'm really looking forward to it. And we're going to make some news. We're going to break some news. And then we're going to have a good conversation about the economy. I'm always excited about where we're headed with that. So much to think about, so much to process. When you see producer prices at over 11%, Consumer prices over 8.5%. There is a tax on the American wallet that is substantial, probably combined about 10% tax on everyday Americans when they go to the store, to the gas station, order something online at Amazon. It is way more expensive under Joe Biden than it was under Donald Trump, or for that matter, even under Barack Obama. And to have that second conversation about the state of the economy we're very lucky to be joined by Brian Blaze. He's a former special assistant to President Trump on healthcare policy. And we're going to talk a little bit about an op-ed he had recently in the Wall Street Journal that points out something that the IRS is doing that Congress did not give it authority to. It could very well affect your health insurance Another aspect of the economy that we all should be worried about. I don't think a lot of politicians are talking about healthcare right now, but everyday Americans are. They're feeling that concern, that apple in their throat. And we should be certain, be certain that we're on top of this. And Brian Blaze is going to bring out an incredible revelation. You didn't know about uh, an effort of the bureaucracy, the hidden bureaucracy in America, to impose its will on the American people at Joe Biden's instruction without the authority without the authority of Congress, which created the Obamacare law. That is going to be a big reveal today. we got two great guests. We're very excited. What I would say is tonight, tune in to the television show Just News, Not Noise on Real America's Voice, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, Channel 219 on Dish Network, Channel 240 on the Pluto TV Network on all the various apps, including uh, Roku and Samsung and the Real America's Voice app. If you haven't downloaded that, that's a must thing. And of course, the Just the News app. Yes, we have one for iOS and Google Android. Download the app, click the watch button. You can watch the show there. Easy as pie, whenever you want. All right, we're gonna take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Newt Gingrich up first. Big discussion about the state of America, the state of politics, and the possibility of creating a coalition, not of just Republicans, but of a larger coalition of Americans that will govern from the center right for a long time. That's what Newt Gingrich is working on. You're going to to catch that conversation right on the other side of this break. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. This next guest always brings incredible thought leadership. We are so blessed to have him today. He's the former Speaker of the House, a former presidential candidate, and one of the greatest thinkers in the entire conservative movement. Joining us right now, former Speaker Newt Gingrich. Speaker Gingrich, great to have you on the show.
1: Well, it's great to be with you with that kind of a lead in, listen, I'll show up whenever you want me to. That was very nice of you.
0: Yeah, it has the benefit of all being true, which is, a, it is true. Yeah. I mean, the thought leadership, you've brought this conservative movement for 30, 40 years is everybody knows it. Everyone who's watched it, covered it as a reporter or been in the movement knows it. And you're still doing it today. I, I was thinking about something and then you wrote, you you got this thought from the back of my head to the front of the head uh, yesterday. I watched Boris Johnson go to Kiev during the ceasefire, or the, during the retooling of the Russian war. And he's there on the ground with President Zelensky showing leadership with the other leaders of neighboring countries. And Joe Biden is biking in Delaware how does the world look at American leadership right now?
1: Well, my, my good friends who used to be ambassadors in Europe who talk to their friends back in Europe say that they're just to write him off. They think that Biden and Harris are so utterly, totally inconsequential that they don't count on them for anything. I mean, there's, a, there's an underlying American bureaucracy that is still massive. If you're talking about, for example, our military capabilities, they're still pretty amazing. Yes, of course. But nobody nobody counts on biden to do anything nobody counts on biden to remember anything and Kamala's is worse i mean the, the real tragedy of the current situation is that however bad you think biden is kamala is much worse
0: yeah that's his best insurance policy
1: <laughs> that's exactly right. but but i i would also say I'm, I'm thinking about doing a piece at some point uh entitled from the bedroom to the bicycle the history of the biden presidency wow
0: uh, that'll be that sort of
1: capture. Well, it sort of capture these guys stand around wringing their hands. I know. So I th- think we're all so stupid that after they create inflation, they can blame Putin. After they try to cripple the American oil and gas industry, they can blame somebody else. Uh, after they tolerate uh, George Soros, elected uh, DAs who are leaving criminals back out in the street, they can point somewhere else. I mean, they're counting on the American people, not, not just being incorrigible, but being unbelievably dumb. yeah, And it no. ain't going it's not going to work because no. the American people collectively aren't stupid.
0: They know it. They feel it when they go to the grocery store, to the supermarket, to the uh, gas station. You're not going to be able to pull any wool well over. It is really remarkable to me that almost every president has some form of the buck stops with me. And Joe Biden, nothing stops with me. He doesn't take accountability for anything. It wasn't his fault in Afghanistan. Inflation's not his fault. The border's not his fault. And yet all these things are in his power in his grasp. How much does that failure of leadership, that constant deflection to other people, uh, uh, sink downstream to the tickets below, the governors, the Congress people who are trying to win seats? At- well,
1: look, look I, I, th- I think what happens, and I'm just now starting a series of newsletters, which will begin next Monday, and there'll be four of them in a row, on, on moving from a Republican majority to an American majority. And I think that, that what happens to them is whichever side is on the wrong side of a tsunami starts with their own base losing heart and not showing up to vote. And if you look at recent elections in places like well, Kenosha, uh, I think you may have covered this, the, yeah. you know, Kenosha, Wisconsin Republican. elected the first county executive Republican in history, literally yeah. in history. Yeah. Uh, and you go around the country and you see these things beginning to happen in all sorts of places Norman, Oklahoma, the the home of the University of Oklahoma, one of the few blue spots in the entire state of Oklahoma, just elected a Republican mayor. I mean, <clears throat> you're, you're you're seeing this underlying pattern, and so people watch Kamala laugh, they watch Biden stumble around and be clearly out of touch. I mean, I think I think he was actually really hurt by having Obama back in the White House. Oh, definitely, <clears throat> and looking like sort of the, the grandfather who was doddering around. Nobody's paying any attention to him. Everybody's hanging on every word of Obama's. Yeah. You know, and this is supposed to be the American president, the commander in chief, uh, the leader of the nation. And he just looks
0: pathetic. Yeah, even his own vice president was more doting on uh, president, former President Obama than current President Biden. It was so noticeable. I think it spoke subliminally to so many people that saw the, 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 the disconnect know, and, the party has with him. And,
1: and, but to, to a point you made, John, that's really, really important. All of that would just be politics, except for the crime rate, the inflation rate, uh, the the people coming pouring across the border, <clears throat> the whole sense of that. That the, as, as Theodore White wrote in in his 1980 book, that that what got to Carter ultimately was a sense that the wheels were just coming apart, that that you you the whole system was breaking down, and that's what's beginning to build here. That that these these guys, it's not just that they're goofy in the White House, they hurt every American and they have no idea what's going on and they have no ability to solve it because any solution causes a civil war in their party.
0: Yeah, it does. You see it every day. It's uh, it's remarkable. I saw some liberals, I I think... um down in Texas and and, in Wisconsin, the far left candidate was actually disowning President Biden's decision to uh, remove Title 42 in May. That gives you a sign that uh, even the far left feels uh, the the co- total consequence of this presidency. You've got a new book out, and I'm really excited about this one. I, I know it's July, so I'm going to have to be patient. But uh, defeating big government socialism, the, the polling you did in the last year, the messaging that you created, uh, it seems like more and more everyday Americans see what, what Biden et al are bringing to America is a form of socialism. Does that become the dominant Uh, question that everybody asks themselves when they go into the polling booth. is I
1: I think it's a combination of of big government socialism and wokeism. Uh, I think when you you are told that the Supreme Court justice can't define what being a woman is, uh, when when you're told that uh, a biological male winning the national women's swimming championship is okay, uh, when you're told that the Border Patrol needs to learn the correct pronouns, so they don't hurt the feelings of the illegal immigrants who are coming across mean yep. the average person looks at all that stuff and just says, this is nuts, you know? So you have, you have both a performance effect because big government socialism doesn't work and you have a values assault because the world they believe in is fundamentally different from America. And the two come together, I think and create for the Democrats, a really devastating uh, Combination—it's sort of a catalytic effect, and and that each of them makes the other worse and makes the other more unacceptable. And I think people, you know, when when you're told that uh, it, that that we should be teaching first graders about transgender, uh, I think the average person thinks that's crazy. They would actually like them to learn reading, writing, arithmetic uh, skills to get a job, you know, stuff like that. And they're watching the the entire teachers union movement just go off the deep end.
0: Yeah, you're right, it's gonna be a domino. One domino hits, gonna hit the other, and people are gonna be so fed up with the entire state of the country and the world. I know you're always playing four chess moves ahead, and and that's how you've been so effective for so long. The polling makes clear that the Republicans are gonna do very well in November. Uh, Yesterday, Mitch McConnell was out there saying, hey, we gotta just make sure we don't screw this up. The danger probably isn't November, right? It's next March when Republicans are fully in control. What do they need to do to make sure that they execute and keep a long term well, majority of Americans, not just a majority of Republicans?
1: Look, let me be really clear about this. I am totally with Kevin McCarthy and with Rick Scott, yep, both of whom have come up with positive ideas. McCarthy wants to develop a commitment to America, and he's got I think seven different working groups i was I was honored. To be invited to come down to their planning uh, session with about 180 House members. Amazing! And I was the keynote speaker, and I got and I got to listen to them working for a while, and they're they're so much more sophisticated than we were in '94. That it really makes me feel good, uh, to realize how much they've grown and learned. Uh, Rick Scott has had the guts to go out and say, "Look, you may not like all of my ideas, but at least I have ideas. What are yours?" And and McConnell, unfortunately, is often this nihilistic approach of saying just be negative. Don't tell anybody what you're going to do. Yeah. And then well, you know, then then I'll go into a room and I'll make all the decisions. I think, frankly, that's as bad as Pelosiism. I, yeah. mean, I think when, when, when leaders bring in, you know, 3,200 page bills and only they and their staff gets to figure out what's going on, that's not representative government. No. Uh, and so I think this is an argument we have to have as a party. And in my mind, we're, we're going to win this fall. I mean, the the, the, the Biden-Harris-Schumer-Pelosi team is so bad. And remember, on the House side, uh, the top three Democrats are so old collectively that, that if you add their years up, it's 1777. <laughs> I mean, before we had a Constitution. And, you know, they're, a, they're literally a generation older yeah. Than the House Republican leadership.
0: It's remarkable. Uh,
1: it is, and and they yeah. don't have a they don't have a clue what's going on in the
0: room. And they life. don't have a bench of young people that are going to appeal to middle America. That's the problem they yeah. have. These lefties that uh, get twenty percent of the country.
1: And then, by the way, I don't know if you've you've been following this this story about the uh Hawaiian congressman who doesn't yes. show up to vote ever. Yeah. But that's that's kind of. But presently. he flies a plane. <laughs> You know, that's going to be the symbol of Pelosi's dictatorship. You know, just send me your proxy. I'll vote it for you. You don't have to. Well, that's the opposite of representative government. Yeah. The The people of half of the state of Hawaii have been denied effective representation for the last year and a half. And that's, that's truly wrong it is. if you're an American.
0: Yeah, no, we had that story on Justin News this morning and it's gone gangbusters because people see it for what it is. It's, it's a little story that speaks volumes about the state of government. I wanna dig down a little bit on Mitch McConnell. I've known him for a long time. I respect his service to the country. Is it time for him maybe to move on or is he movable? Is he a sort of guy that can get on track? The way he's talking last night, is kind of more Huey Long, 1920s leadership. And I think Americans are looking for something a little different. What's your assessment? Should he still be the leader?
1: Well, I think the Senate Republicans have to decide that. But I would hope that the Senate Republicans collectively are going to sit down and talk through, I mean, are they going to offer something positive for America? Or are they going to try to run just on negative? So are they going to tell us in advance what they're going to try to get done? Or are they just going to tell us, oh, trust us and we'll go into a secret room and we'll produce a secret program? I mean, I I think this is a very important moment of decision for the U.S. Senate. And I think that it's very important that they understand what what Kevin McCarthy is doing and what Rick Scott's doing and that the country, I mean, forget just the Republican Party, the, the American people at a moment of turmoil and confusion and and enormous pain, the American people deserve a Republican Senate and a Republican House that tells us before the election what they're going to do, and then actually does it so we can hold them accountable. And if we pick the right things, Biden will either have, this is what we did with with, uh, Clinton. I mean, we set up a series of forks and chess terms where he either had to side with the left and lose, or side with us, in which case the left would be at war with him. Uh, and as a result, for example, people don't realize it, but the average contract with America vote uh, has 63 Democrats voting yes.
0: That's amazing. I don't remember, we, that's amazing. Yeah,
1: when we passed welfare reform on the final conference report, we split the Democrats even 89 to 89. But the reason was we had learned from Ronald Reagan be clear what you're doing. Do what the American people want. Ask them to lobby the Congress. Reagan used to say his job was to turn up the light on the country so the country would turn up the heat
0: on Congress. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt, no doubt about it.
1: So my, my hope is that Mitch will come to realize that, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm not against Mitch remaining leader, but I am against Mitch remaining leader if it's going to be a secret, closed leadership.
0: Yeah, And I think a large majority of Republicans are in that camp as well now. There's no doubt about it. I want to tell you real quickly, this is a sidetrack, but I I know this person was instrumental not only to you, but to philanthropy, to conservatism. Uh, Frank Hanna Jr. passed away. Your thoughts on his contribution to America?
1: Well, he was amazing. I first knew him when I was a very junior member of the House. Right. He he had always supported me. Uh, When I left Congress, I went to him for advice on business, he was utterly invaluable. Very devout Catholic. Uh, went to Holy Spirit and was very important at Holy Spirit in Atlanta. Right. He, uh, you know, both both Callista and I regarded Frank as, as a remarkable friend. And frankly, his sons are equally impressive. Uh, it is a it's a family of integrity, of conservatism, of, of deeply held values. Uh, all of us who knew Frank uh, Jr. and uh, loved him uh, will, will look back and, and think that he was one of the great formative influences in our lives, and that we are all poorer for his having passed.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. He leaves a big hole. It's our, the, no, Those shoes can't be replaced, but he leaves an amazing uh, a legacy and a, a, an amazing ethos with his family that I know will live on. Uh, last one, you have a new column up that I, I think is so prescient on the war in Ukraine, and it, uh, it the headline is, No Long War in Ukraine. Describe a little bit what message you want Americans to take from this column. It's a very well, smart I think, column. I think
1: every, look, every American should pound on the Biden administration to, to live up to the obligations of being American. Uh, This this most recent report that uh, they're dragging their feet on artillery, they're dragging their feet on armor, they're dragging their feet on jet airplanes. I mean, it, it it is despicable and disgusting to have an American administration that is gutless and that does not help. These are free people taking enormous risks. They're up against a, a system that can only be described as evil. Right. Uh, the most recent report is that 120,000 children mm. have been kidnapped and taken to Russia to be put up for adoption. I mean, this is Nazi-quality stuff. Mm. And I think the United States should should make it our business to, to have people seven days a week working to get every possible equipment and training to the Ukrainians. The Ukrainians aren't asking us to die for them. They're asking us to provide equipment, so that they can win yeah. and the fact that this administration for whatever reason is dragging its feet I think is is totally despicable and worthy of the Congress opening up a full-blown investigation and getting a heck of a lot of people fired. Frankly,
0: yeah, I think you're right. It's the whole team. And I, I had a, a pleasure, maybe a decade, a little bit more than a decade ago, to spend a day with President George H. W. Bush, who had a, quite a resume to be president. He said something to me that has echoed in my mind, particularly watching Joe Biden, moral outrage without. In action is immorality is what he said to me, and that those words have stuck in my head for so long. And you know, Biden has the moral outrage thing down. He could talk all day. He doesn't back it up with anything. Um, how big a hole does the next president of the United States have to dig out of from what this president has created?
1: That's right. I, I think that then that's part of what, frankly, when the Republicans win the House and Senate, as they will, they have got to be very positive. They've got to offer the kind of alternatives the American people want, and they have to have the nerve to go toe-to-toe with Biden every day uh, and make him decide. And they, frankly, have to set up the kind of investigative committees they are going to find out exactly how sick we were in Afghanistan, right. how sick we've been in Ukraine, and how sick Hunter Biden's entire life has been. And I think they, they, that those are obligations the Republicans have.
0: Yeah, no, there's no doubt. Culture of corruption. Last question. There have been a dozen Corruption cases involving Democrats from the state house to all across this country. Hunter Biden still lingers as an undecided where that's going to end, but it's clear it was an influence peddling scheme. Uh, does this uh, really put an additional weight on the Democratic Party? Do people start to realize yeah. these guys are permanent government people who enrich themselves through the government?
1: Look, I mean, there's no question that the more we learn, the more directly it ties to Joe Biden. Yes. So it's just not about Hunter, it's about nope. Joe. And I think that that may become a cancer that just uh,
0: devours the administration, frankly. Yeah, well, we'll be watching that. Mr. Speaker, it is always an honor to have you on. We always learn so much. And I can't wait for that book to come out in July. It's already on my calendar. Folks, it should be on your tooth. Get a pre-order now. Thanks. Take care. Thank you, sir. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the economy. We'll be right back.
2: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Listen, we're all distracted right now. We've got the war in Ukraine. We've got the January 6th Commission. We've got gas prices, inflation, an open border, rising crime. But uh, there are some things going on in the bureaucracy in Washington that has everyone with a red siren alert thanks to our next guest, Brian Blaze, who wrote an extraordinary op-ed in the Wall Street Journal last week really highlighting something that the bureaucracy that under Joe Biden is trying to do to extend Obamacare health subsidies to Americans who are never entitled to get them. So joining me right now is Brian Blaze. He's the man who wrote that great uh, op-ed. He's the president of Paragon Health Institute and a former special assistant to President Trump, who did a lot of the important health policies while President Trump was in office. Brian, great to have you on the show today.
3: John, it is great to be with you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, it's an honor to have you on. Listen, this op ed you wrote I thought was so important. It caught everyone's attention. Uh, the headline is To fix the Obamacare family glitch. Biden politicizes the IRS. Let's take that in two parts. First off, describe the long term family glitch that Congress and the, uh, oh, going back to the Obama years, never really solved.
3: Sure. So Obamacare, you know, created a bunch of health insurance mandates that increased the price of insurance and created subsidies so that people could better afford the insurance um, that its uh, rules had made more expensive. The, one of the issues was limiting um, those subsidies because they were very expensive. And if everyone had access to those subsidies, you know, the, the, the fiscal cost would have been unimaginably high. Um, So what they did was say that if you had access to an affordable employer plan, uh, you didn't have the ability to obtain these subsidies to purchase Obamacare plans. And that was the law. And the law linked affordability to self-only coverage. So an employee has an offer of coverage that's affordable, uh, which was defined as less than about 10 percent of their income. Then they don't have access to subsidies and neither do uh, the dependents of, um, uh, of that individual. Um, and the IRS, you know, so, so the Congress passes laws, and then uh, the IRS and Treasury, because this dealt with the tax code, they issued regulations that was consistent um, uh, with, with the law. Now, what it did is it left uh, some individuals who had an offer of, say, affordable coverage just for themselves, but say the employer didn't provide any contribution for family coverage, um, it left them sort of in this predicament where they would have to pay more um, than 10% of their income for, uh, for the family plan. And some people have referred to this as the family glitch um, because those um, uh, uh, plans were deemed sort of less affordable uh, than a lot of the central plan- planners would like.
0: That's amazing. I mean, and so if I understand what's going on right now, the bureaucracy wants to usurp Congress's authority because Congress set uh, the law. The original regs were inconsistent with the law. They want to basically rewrite the law themselves without going back to Congress. Is that a good way of looking at it?
3: Exactly. So what's interesting is this with the Obama administration's IRS and Treasury that um, issued the initial regulations um, consistent with the law back in uh, really back a decade ago. And uh, the Biden administration has put enormous political pressure on IRS and Treasury to revisit um, uh, what they determined a decade ago and expand Obamacare subsidies. So it really is the politicization of the IRS. And remember, the IRS is enforcing the tax code. So that is, they're, they're a non is, they're supposed to be nonpartisan. Um, Non-ideological, um, just implement um, the the tax policy that Congress passes, not subject to whatever the political interests um, of a new administration are. But they, you know, yeah, you the Biden administration putting this pressure on IRS, um, and they proposed a rule last week that would create a more expansive definition of uh, affordability and illegally um, extend Obamacare subsidies.
0: Yeah. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing indeed. When you look at the state of Obamacare a decade in now, what is its legacy in terms of achieving its goal of getting more people insurance two, creating a cost structure that most Americans uh, don't want to do? And three, uh, creating these spinoffs like uh, a reliance on Medicaid for things that Medicaid isn't supposed to cover. I, I think there was a study recently we had it on our site just the news that like two point three or two point five billion dollars of Medicaid expenditures in Michigan alone in the last year or maybe it was a couple of years ago because they trail a little bit, were unauthorized, meaning taxpayers paid for things that they weren't supposed to. All of that I think seems to be part of this Obamacare legacy. How do you grade it on on what it's achieved and failed to achieve over the last decade?
3: Well, it was called the Affordable Care Act, <laughs> and the main talking points at the time from proponents of it were that it would make uh, health insurance more affordable. Now, for some people, it did make health insurance more affordable, uh, but that's because the government and the taxpayers are paying uh, the vast majority of the premium. So it increased uh, the number of people with coverage um, uh, largely through Medicaid. Uh, so, the, the ACA, uh, about 38 states have adopted the Medicaid expansion. Um, and in those states, Medicaid enrollment has soared. And the study that you mentioned from Michigan is the improper payment rate in Michigan for just a year. It was more than $2 billion. And what we've seen. Uh, is that's consistent across the country that just a lot of people who've been become enrolled in Obamacare's Medicaid expansion aren't actually eligible for the program. Wow. And nationally, nationally, the improper payment rate of Medicaid in this government report, um, is estimated at a hundred billion dollars a year in federal spending. Um, so it's um, it's the primary driver of uh, sort of the, the improper payment problem that we have nationally. But so that's so Medicaid. So Obamacare is mostly expanded coverage through Medicaid. In fact, the entire net coverage gains have been through Medicaid, um, and the private coverage is actually down a little bit since Obama, because of Obamacare. Uh, Obamacare's main changes in the private market uh, were to the uh, individual market where. Uh, people get coverage uh, that don't get it through their employer. Uh, and there, you know, premiums and deductibles have soared, and enrollment has uh, been about 60% below expectations as the plans just don't offer value to individuals that don't receive large subsidies to, to purchase plans.
0: Yeah. So we didn't make a healthcare much affordable, did we? <laughs> we haven't solved the, the namesake of the law after all this um after all this expenditure, it's pretty remarkable. We're heading into an election in which control of Congress is clearly up for grabs. Republicans seem to have a very historic edge right now in the generic preference going into the election. Healthcare isn't talked about much on the campaign trail. We're more worried about inflation, gas prices, the war, things like that, the open border, is healthcare going to emerge in the fall? Will Democrats try to force it, and do conservatives have a good alternative, a better alternative than the Obamacare revisions that, that uh, Joe Biden seems to be warming over for for the fall election?
3: Yeah, I mean, I say Democrats aren't um, uh, totally unified on where they want to go with healthcare. So I testified um, before a, a House committee a few months ago, and you had Democrat witnesses. Some of them were talking about you know expanding Obamacare. Others were talking about um, uh, Medicare for all, sort of Bernie Sanders type um, uh, uh, government takeover of health care. I think Republicans, I mean, obviously, uh, inflation is the primary driver right now of the economic concerns. And the Biden administration's health policy agenda has pushed up inflation, um, expanded subsidies, expanded spending for Medicaid, Um, have contributed to the overall problem uh, that Americans are facing with inflation. And I think Republicans, uh, you know, conservatives are looking for alternatives um, that would expand options uh, for small businesses in the way that they uh, can offer coverage to their workers. Um, uh, One of the things that I sort of emphasized in my testimony is you you just don't want to focus on the demand side of the market, too. Right and the financing components, you need to focus on the supply and increasing sort of the size of the healthcare pie and making sure we have enough doctors, nurses um, to treat patients uh, and make sure that we have policy that's conducive to innovation. And I think you'll see, um, you know, conservatives looking sort of broader um, set of policies that address really the the um, the full market, the, the full set of um, of uh, healthcare issues.
0: Yeah. It's fascinating to see that the the market, you know, our, our founding fathers always intended market forces to be the great calibrator, fixer, innovator. And for the last decade, there's been a little bit of a thumb on the scale because the government has obviously, through Obamacare, put its some on the scale. But there seems to be a lot of interesting innovation going on in the marketplace, some designed at saving money, some designed at uh, improving care. When you look out, is there any particular set of experiments you look out and say, you know, the future of healthcare may be in this area over here, or one part of the future of healthcare may be right in this area? What, what do you see as some of the trends worth paying attention to?
3: Well, I think um, you know, coming out of the pandemic, um, uh, the development of the vaccine and yeah. uh, showing that you know there's a way to to, to develop um, innovative uh, uh, medicines and therapies quickly um, and have access to those. I mean, to cut through a lot of the, um, uh, the bureaucracy and get needed medications to people quickly. So, um, what we need to do sort of on FDA reform in order to make sure that, um, uh, you know, patients have access as quickly as possible to life saving and life enhancing technologies. Um, I think, you know, we need to, uh, uh, we need to address a lot of the problems with government policy. So we saw a lot of the problems with um, the Centers for Disease Control oh, and the um, the bad information that they provided, the bad processes uh, for for you know going back to when they really messed up the initial uh, tests um, for whether people had COVID or not. Uh, so I, I mean, there's 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 policies there. I mean, we really there's there's a lot of entrepreneurship um, and innovation going on. We want to make sure that that innovation is best serving patient needs and not just the bureaucracy. So loosening up um, the government programs and policies, and putting patients uh, more in control of their healthcare dollars, so that the um, entrepreneurs and innovators have to serve the patient and not the government program. You know, half of all spending uh, in the U.S. right now for healthcare is through the government, um, uh, and the government makes decisions that really affect um, the supply side and the innovation of the market. So we need to uh, uh, make sure that government's not stymieing innovation.
0: Yeah, really a great danger that a lot of people don't see, right? And it became really apparent in the early days of the pandemic when uh, you couldn't get things like masks and other things. That's a question I ask. Have we really learned from the early 2020 COVID pandemic supply shortages uh, and our enormous reliance on places like China. Has any changes been made to the supply chain for important medical supplies? Are we still where we were, you know, approximately where we were at the beginning of the pandemic?
3: You know, that's a really important question. It's not um, uh, something that I have any particular insight uh, into. I, um, you know, uh, the skeptic in me says that the government, uh, you know, the status quo, It's hard to change the status quo and the government moves slowly. So, I mean, that's one of the things that was so amazing, sort of about Operation Warp Speed and the public-private partnership um, that we saw with getting vaccines developed, you know, within a year. And really is a great credit to the Trump administration for setting up that process. Um, And I think they they don't get as much um, credit for uh, the vaccine development and the the initial distribution uh, plan as they should.
0: Yeah, no, it, it, it was groundbreaking. I mean, talk about public private partnership working, whereas a, a government to government partnership probably failed w- or would have failed or certainly wouldn't have been as quick and moving as, as that, that particular partnership. Last question is you look out at the states. There's a lot of innovation. There's a, a great movement towards federalism, state rights, uh, where states are taking the lead where the government has failed or been bloated. Uh, do you see any particular states achieving? some gains in health policy that aren't getting attention. I hear a lot of people talk about Nebraska, that maybe Governor Ricketts has found something that could be a conservative model. Curious what you see as the best ideas coming out of the labs that our state governments.
3: Well, uh, sure. And I can pitch uh, Paragon Health Institute. We had a book on uh, uh, state health reform. That's right. Called Don't wait. Don't Wait for Washington, What States Can Do to Reform Health Care Today. And states can take a lot of steps um, on uh, to improve their healthcare markets. So you have some states that are allowing sort of innovative health benefits plans um, uh, that uh, uh, basically benefits that aren't subject to any of Obamacare's regulations. So it can right. be much more affordable and flexible uh, for patients. So through uh, buying plans through farm bureaus, for example. So last year, Texas and South Dakota. Uh, joined about a half dozen other states that allow people freedom uh, to purchase those types of plans. You've got states taking uh, steps to reduce um, uh, telehealth restrictions um, so that patients have more access um, to uh, virtual care. And then you have um, uh, states that are taking steps to allow Um, uh, healthcare providers uh, to to more easily move across state lines um, and and practice and to sort of fully allow doctors and nurses uh, to practice to the top of their medical license. Um, uh, And, you know, states can take action to reform uh, healthcare through the state employee health plan. So states are actually, including if you include local governments, are the largest employers uh, in many cases in those uh, jurisdictions, and states can introduce reforms in the state employee health plan. And that's a topic that we tackle in Paragon's health reform book as well. Yeah,
0: that, that's an important book. And that title, Don't Wait for Washington, seems to be the rallying cry for so many of the innovative states right now, Florida and Texas and Nebraska and states that you know realize that the big bloated government in Washington has fumbled a lot of things. And why wait for them to get their their uh, act together when you can do it at the state level using federalism and state rights. Uh, Brian, how do people follow? Because you're doing really important work at the Paragon Health Institute. How do people follow what you're doing and stay in touch with all the good work that you're doing?
3: Hey, thanks for that question, John. So they could go to our website, paragoninstitute.org, and you could... uh, Sign on to our. Uh, we send a newsletter uh, twice a month newsletter uh, that updates uh, individuals on our recent efforts. They could follow us on Twitter. Uh, they could follow me on Twitter, uh, Brian underscore Blaze. And uh, I think it's really important. I mean, healthcare is it is the most important domestic policy issue. Maybe not of, at the moment, but sure. it's almost twenty percent of our nation's economy. And Amazing. we are spending enormous amount through healthcare that doesn't provide us with um, benefit um, commensurate to the cost. Uh, and we, you know, government's reach in healthcare is so pervasive and unintended consequences abound. Uh, So it really is uh, important for as many people to be educated about the problems and potential solutions as possible.
0: Yeah. And I I also have a funny feeling in the fall election, it's going to come back up because the polling shows, even in the midst of all the other crises we have now, open border and and, uh, the war and high gas prices and inflation and all the things we're challenged with, it still shows up in the top three top issues for everyday Americans. And I have to make uh, wonder whether both sides are ready for that debate in the fall. It's going to be very interesting to see. We're really looking forward to Brian. Thanks for your time uh, today. And we're looking forward to having you back on again. This is such an important issue. We want to stay on top of it and really, really enjoyed the conversation today.
3: Hey, thanks so much for having me on, John.
0: Uh, My pleasure. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after this.
2: Delve into the shadows of the mind. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
0: All right, folks, welcome back. What a great show. Big thank you to Brian Blaze for opening our eyes to this IRS power grab. And, of course, to Speaker Newt Gingrich, who is one of the great thought leaders in all of America. Really 30, 35, 40 year transformational figure in conservative thought. Yes, he gave us. The contract with America in 1994, he gave us Go pack before that. And today at Gingers 360, he's continuing to define the values, the policies, the ideas that help conservatives win. And of course, he's got that new book coming out, Defeating Big Government Socialism. Put it on your calendar. Mid-July, I've already pre-ordered my book because it is important. It is going to be a must-read We're very excited about that. Now, before we go, a couple of thoughts. You may have seen the show, the television show on Monday. We had Philip Patrick on. He is an amazing financial analyst. He's a birch gold, precious metals specialist. And he talked a little bit about the ability to... Find out how you can invest or add gold and silver to your tax deferred retirement plans, your 401ks, your IRAs. People have been asking me, hey, John, how do we get that book? We saw that. We loved what Philip was saying. How do I get that book? It's real simple. All you got to do is text the word Just News, all one word, to 989898. Let me give you that again Just News, one word, text it to 989898. You'll get started on that adventure. And I'll tell you what, I've got another offer, another sponsor, another great partner of the Just the News family that I want to tell you about. I was thinking about this. I was doing my taxes, pulling my records for my mortgage, and I I went online and just checked my home title. And it was a reminder that home title theft, which, by the way, is a real and growing crime, is so easy to do. All of our home records, including the legal binding records, are online in Bad people can get to them quickly and they can pull a fast one on you. If they do, if they steal the title to your home, try to start taking a loan out, there is no insurance from your homeowner's policy. There's no coverage from almost any homeowner's policy I know about. And so, what do you need to do? Well, you can go to your county recorder's office and check your home title every day. That seems cost ineffective, right? We're all busy. But here's a simpler way to do it. Just register your address at HomeTitleLock.com, HomeTitleLock.com. They are great partners of this show, great partners of the Just the News brand, and they will let you know. You register there, you're gonna find out for free whether you're already a victim. If not, you're gonna find out ways to make sure you never become victimized with your most valuable asset, your home. There's no reason to delay. This is an inexpensive, huge safety measure that protects you for life. So go to HometitleLock.com. Go to HometitleLock.com today and get a free check and sign up for their great product. So at night, you can rest assured that one thing that won't happen is that your home title won't be stolen from beneath your nose. All right, folks, tonight we're going to have a great show. We've got Congressman Lee Zeldin, the Republican who has a good chance of unseating Kathy Hockle in New York. As governor, the Cuomo disaster is still lingering in New Yorkers' mind. Their lieutenant governor was forced to resign yesterday. He's going to lead the show off. And then Seamus Bruner and I, yes, the same Seamus Bruner, who helped me write the book Fallout, who's been breaking so many of the Joe Biden, Hunter Biden stories with me. We're going to break a exclusive story tonight. You're, you're going to get it first on the TV show tonight. So go check that out. Six o'clock tonight on Real America's Voice on the apps. Roku, Pluto, certainly just the news app or Channel 219 on the Dish Network. Don't delay. Tile that in. Put it on the recorder. Get it done. We're going to break some big news tonight. We also have some other great guests that will light it up. The Senate candidate has a great chance of flipping Nevada's Senate seat to the red. Paul Laxell is also joining us. We're really looking forward to that. All right. Have a great night, folks. God bless you. We'll be back tomorrow. We've got some more breaking news. We'll probably break some news tomorrow on this podcast. Round two of the Hunter Biden exclusives from this week. We're going to break on this show tomorrow. You're going to get it first on the podcast before you get it anywhere else for sure. All right, guys. Have a great night. God bless you. God bless this extraordinary country of the United States. And thank you for listening to John Solomon Reports. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite.